thank you for being in the house of God with the saints tonight in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Open your Bibles, if you would. Remember just the exhortation and the worship. I've had this happen several times over the years. Um, and uh, this is a, an example. It's not exactly a reverse course like the others, but it's certainly, how many of you know, spiritual laws have different layers and manifestations of anointing. But you can get to a place of exhortation, a place of worship, and even thanksgiving to where we need to understand <clears throat> that, and I don't really have time to get into this part of it, but thanksgiving also is one of the major components that opens the door to the spirit of seeing and knowing. Amen. Now remember what it said in Romans 1. Well, let's do that. Yeah, let's just go look at it. I've quoted it several times. Why don't we look at it? Let's talk just briefly about the Thanksgiving glory connection. Could we do that? Amen. All right, don't forget we're headed back to 3 John. But let's go to the book of Romans. And let's look at what it says here in Romans chapter 1. And um, <clears throat> he's actually sharing from verse 18 through verse 32 about the outcome or the kind of life a person will have if they do not have a revelation that they are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. To put it in context, let me back up. To put it in context, Romans chapter 1, notice what it says starting in verse, uh, verse 11. For I long to see you. Now, why did he want to come to church with them? Read it now. I long to see you. Why do I want to physically be there? That I may impart. Oh, this is huge. Look at this. That I may impart some spiritual gift to you. To the end that after this, something comes from the spirit realm inside of you, your unstable life gets established. This is critically important. I mean, we can see exactly the same thing. Let me, let me, let me just show you this. Since we're going to wind up there anyway, let's go to 2 Timothy. Oh, Jesus, he is here to help us tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and I want you to notice what it says. <clears throat> How many of you know verse 7? Amen. What does it say? How many of you know verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, verse 9, verse 11? Uh-huh. All right. So maybe we ought to look at it in a little bit of context. Amen. I want you to look at this and notice what it says in verse 5. Actually, he says in verse 4, I greatly desire to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Now, this is Paul, the apostle, writing to a son in the faith, whom we know as Timothy. And he says, when I call to remembrance the, now look at this, the unfeigned, simple, clean, sincere faith that is in you. Glory to God. It dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. Evidently, grandma wasn't a manic depression. 
and she didn't pass it down to his mother Eunice, who didn't pass down depression and sorrow and bipolar and learning disorders to Timothy. Come on now. You got to see this. Notice what he says. It first was in Eunice, or Lois, and now it came to Eunice. I'm persuaded it's in you also. Therefore, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the putting on of my hands. Now, evidently, Paul, in the spirit, by the anointing, imparted something to him. By the law of contact and transmission, something came from another world into his life that caused him to be stable and victorious and absolutely able to fulfill his, the plan of God for his life in this world. Yeah. Amen. Have I lost you already? No. So I'm just looking at you and I love you, but me too. You, I, we, we need help. You can't do this, not by might, not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And we have help. We have the Lord God of the angel armies. Oh, glory be to God. Do you understand what's going on here? He will never leave us or forsake us. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of us 24-7. For God, say God. God has not given us. What? Woo! So evidently, this is part of that impartation. We've talked about faith. We've talked about generational faith. We've talked about impartation from the spirit realm of that faith. And now we're talking about the opposite. God, if you're dealing with fear, God didn't give it to you. So dispense with the YouTube uh, tolerant, cancel culture, outrageous Twitter society that says, I'm made this way. Because God didn't make you to be afraid. So that thought is a lie straight from a doctrine of a devil. You may be that way, but that's because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. God didn't make you that way. And he's got a fix for your mix. He's got. If you'll let him, he'll remove that mixture. That confusion. That double mind. Oh, glory be to God. You'll find out. You won't find out who you are. You've got to find out who he is. Because you're made to look like him. You don't find out who you are by buying a Corvette at 40. Find out who you are by studying the word and finding out who he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So understand now. <laughs> For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Right? Fear is a spirit. Fear is not an emotion. Fear is a demon. It is the master demon that is the root of a whole curse. It's the first thing Adam experienced when he sinned. So fear is the immediate manifestation of a sin consciousness. Glory to God. When a person feels they're unworthy, they feel naked, exposed, and unclothed, 
There's something bigger than them trying to get at them. There's nothing they can do about it. So fear will drive you to leave your place beside God. It'll drive you to hide behind the trees created for fruit for you. And it'll, oh, I don't have time to get into all that. I'm just simply saying that fear's a demon. And God didn't give it to you. And fear is, according to 1 John chapter 4, you can read it on your own time, 1 John 4, 16, 17, 18, and 19. 1 John 16, we have known and believed the love God has for us. Woo, glory be to God. He goes on to say that when we know and believe that love, when we're made mature in the revelation of how much God loves us, it will cast out fear. Because fear has torment, literally torment. It is the Greek word torture. It expects punishment. Now there are people that live their whole Christian lives and never break free and get delivered from, wow. from torment. It expects punishment because it feels unworthy. It doesn't have boldness in the day of judgment. It won't stand up against the devil. It won't bind those thoughts that come and say you're inadequate or you're guilty or you have a past or, no, we are justified just as if I had never sinned. That means I'm as clean before God right now as Adam and Eve were in the garden before they sinned. It means God didn't just make me righteous. He gave me his very own. The old man passed away and there's a new man alive in me and he's created in righteousness and true holiness and the righteous are as bold as a lion. And when a person gets a revelation that they're righteous, it'll fix their mind. It'll make their mind sound. Because we need to understand that in 1 John 4, as we're speaking, if we were to go and look at it, and I'm just asking you to write notes down because I'm doing my best to get to the place where I can get my hands wrapped around your head. Oh, y'all are laughing. I'm serious. I mean, I'm running at you and I'm doing everything I can to get the word and revelation and the Holy Ghost and the anointing and if possible, my hands wrapped around that stinking thinking you got going on so that we can help you get delivered from it so you can become who you really are. Glory to God. God wants miracles of a sound mind in this room tonight. Glory to God. We, we, we don't know how to handle it in society. Why? Because it's a demon. So our answer for it medically is dope it up. Dumb it down, dope it up, kill all the emotions so you can just walk through life as a zombie and cope. That is not the plan of God for your life. Well, the kid's a little, you know, he's a boy being a boy. Take him to the doctor, first thing that happens. Because he's a spirited boy, he gets diagnosed that he's made this way. He's hyperactive. He can't sit down. He can't learn. Who said? Last time I checked, that old idea of, you know, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not, no. I can tell you what to drive that out. <laughs> Foolish. It'll drive foolishness out of their heart. That's the spirit of the world trying to attack a child in their innocence and when parents don't know their authority, they let that demon foolishness go on in their house. And then dope the kid up, send them to special classes and tell them their whole life they're either bipolar or dyslexic or... I know, I'm stomping on some toes big time right now. 
I know I am. But you want to know why? Because there's about to be miracles of a sound mind. We are hurtling toward, absolutely hurtling toward, people walking into our services with an actual medical condition of chromosomal malformation like Down syndrome, and they're going to walk out whole. You mark my words. That happens in the glory. We've had several instances recently of laying hands on people. One of them more, more recently, the, the grandmother and the mother, talk about generational, brought a cloth up front and we took authority of that and they, oh, whack, man, they got stuck to the floor for a while and the, the, the next morning they called us because they didn't have a chance. It was, it was at the end of the meeting. They were out of it. Somebody had to drive them home. They got up the next morning and called the granddaughter whose son was severely autistic and had never spoken. And they said, because that's what we were attacking. We, we bound that demon. So the grandmother and the mother called. Uh, did anything, called his name. Did, did anything different happen this morning? And the daughter said, well, it's funny you should say that. Why did you call? Yes. The child sat up at the table, began to eat breakfast and started talking. child wasn't in church now there's still a ways to go but what we did is we blew you understand we've had several where literally they they've gotten further progressed than others who cares about the time on the process what i'm telling you is we've got some now that that thing has just totally gone glory to god I mean, all you got to do is read the first chapter of Genesis to find out day by day, God's a creator. He'll create and rewire your brain. He'll develop new nerve endings. He will literally, if you just let him, if you just let him, glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. I'm, I'm seeing so clear on several things that uh, I'm really, in my limited humanity, my spirit man's comprehending it. I, I'm wanting to preach a whole seminar in about the next 30 minutes. And so you have to help me because I'm having, to, I'm having to pull the reins on some horses here. When I was in the room this afternoon, God began to talk to me about the ministry of angels. Now you have to understand, I've had experiences of this in my life many times. And he's actually assigned me in this hour of our assignment to write a book about it. He's given me the title. He told me what to do with it um, because he said there's going to be such, a, such an unusual manifested volume of angelic activity to help the righteous in the last days. I need the Bible. I need some word out there for some sound doctrine so people won't get off and get goofy with it. But I'm about to unleash. I'm telling you the heavenly armies are coming. I've had some very dramatic, I mentioned something this morning about it. If you were here this morning, remember I told you that I saw that angel and that inside a year he went and got international television? Well, that's the same angel that picked up that interstate and moved it. And right now, you, you may not know it, but they are ministers to those who are the heirs. You may know that, but you probably know it on a level that you've never really truly seen over into it before. You need to realize that angels are responsible, their assignment is to bring your inheritance to you. 
That, that, oh, help me, Jesus. That, it's more than just them helping you do it. You command it and they go get it. They bring it to you. That's the way the kingdom system works. I was laying in the bed this afternoon. Well, let me say this first. The first, the first time I know for sure I was conscious of an angelic help, I didn't see the angel. But I was nine years of age in Longview, Texas, and I actually was visiting some relatives, and we went to church with them that morning. It was a Southern Baptist church, Longview Baptist Temple. I was sitting in the road with my family. I remember the, that was the first time that I was old enough to be conscious enough to really comprehend that I was aware as a human that even at nine years of age, I had enough consciousness to know I didn't do everything right. You had an awareness that you had sinned even at that young age. And I knew that I, I loved God and I believed that Jesus died for me and I didn't want to go to a sinner's hell. And I remember my mother and father were there and my sister and her new husband were there and down the road. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. In my heart, I was on the end of the row. And in my heart, when he gave the altar call, the next thing I knew, I mean, without, without me doing it on my own, the next thing I knew, I made a decision in my heart to go to that altar. And the, I mean, the instant that decision was made, my hand was in the air and I didn't put it up. And said, all of you that raise your hands, come right down here. And the next thing I knew, an invisible hand took my arm like this, very gently, and I felt it pull me into the aisle. And that being, that was assigned to my life, that was assigned to help bring me to salvation. Walked me to the altar. When I knelt down on that Baptist altar and made Jesus the Lord of my life, I was consciously aware of that being kneeling beside me at that altar, holding my hand. I don't talk about that very much. But that was Luke 15, 5. The angels rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance. I'm telling you by the Spirit of God that the angels are excited awaiting every human birth. They're in attendance in the labor and delivery room. Waiting, assigned, commissioned to guard that human life. They're keepers. My God. And they keep us lest we, dare, we dash our foot against a stone. And um, so then later on, when I got called to the ministry and so forth, now I had a lot of things in between that I real now understand was always that supernatural help in the unseen. You weren't aware that it was attendance to your life. They're here right now, if you could see it. And since the ministry has grown and now there's things for us to do and now as we sit here partners together daily, we're preaching the gospel daily. Every time the globe turns, there's somebody connected to us that's preaching the gospel where the, the sun never sets on the voice. Now, those angels that were assigned 
as we've been faithful and got into this phase and faithful and got into that phase and faithful and got into that phase, they called on more and more troops. Part of what I saw, part of what I saw, can I say that? I, I dare not go deeper than I should um, because I know more than I can say tonight. But at three this morning before I was sent here, I saw that very angel I was talking about that went and got international television. The Lord spoke to me in the night season and told me that because of the partnership, it's one of the reasons he was doing what he was doing, and that the angels assigned to this vision, he was, that that angel, because of our partnership, was going to work with the angels and reinforce the angels assigned to get this ministry to the fullness of where it's going. I know some things about how it works now that I've never seen before. It's why you want to be with the right people in the right place doing the right thing. And it's why you want to activate your dominion by getting proper seed in the ground and functioning. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Who do you think it was that, that resisted forces that came against Israel when they tried to stop the seed of Abraham getting to the promised land? Who, what do you think those bees were that went in front of Israel's army and drove the Canaanites out of the land till they could inhabit it, till they could grow up and take hold of it? Amen. What do you think was sent before them to guard the path? Yeah. Or that blessed their bread and water and took sickness away from the midst of them? Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory be to God. Oh, glory be to God. They're in this room. I'm telling you, they're in this room. I was supernatural. The next time, and I actually, the first and only time at that time. Now, I've seen it, a number of things since. But uh, I had a, what really might have been an incurable disease. I won't get into the details of it because I'm going to say something else tonight that's for this meeting. But I still remember early in the ministry called the Ministry of Signs, Wonders, and Miracles. And I had a condition that began to be very, very serious. I was playing college baseball at the time. It manifested in my heel, went past my flesh, up into the heel bone, up into my bone. I won't talk in detail about it, except one night after about seven months, I'd been believing God. I was calling those things to be not as though they were. I'd get in the shower. And I got, I got hold of the fact that Satan's head was crushed. He, the woman's seed, the woman's seed would crush Satan's head, but he would bruise his heel. And I still remember, I'd get in the shower and I'd just grimace because, I mean, it'd make, the root, it'd make the roots of my hair, the roots of my teeth hurt. It hurt so bad. I had, to, I had to miss a lot of the baseball season because I couldn't run and get, and get it on the ground. I'd hit the bag when I was turning. And so uh, I'm believing God now. And the devil's saying, I'm going to kill you. At best, I'm gonna, they're going to have to cut your foot. You're never going to preach the gospel. You think you're, gonna, you're called and go around the world and cast out devils and heal the sick? He said, you want to have an anointing like Oil Roberts or Lester Summerall or somebody else like that? He said, here's the thing. Yeah, I know when they were teenagers that they were sick, but he said they got healed and they came out and fulfilled their ministry. The difference between them and you is you'll never make it. I'm going to kill you where you stand. And it was day after day after day after day. And I had to push that back. I had to push it back. No, you're not. No, you're not. Absolutely not. One day I'll never forget. I will never forget when I broke over about seven months into it. But during the process, I would literally 
I'd, I'd take a shower and every time I'd rub it, it hurt or soap it up, it hurt. And I'd say, whoa, this must be. And then I just, I just on purpose, I'd grip my teeth. I'd go, mm -hmm. and man, it'd go, and it'd shoot through the top of my head. And I would say, oh, glory to God. That must have been what it felt like, Jesus, on your heel when you crushed Satan's head. Woo! So that pain I'm feeling in my heel is nothing compared to the head that's been crushed 2,000 years ago. And I just talk to him. I just tell him what an unworthy, anemic dog he was and how dare he lie to the righteous son, blood-washed son of the living God who was called to preach the gospel. You said, did he assault your mind? Yeah, like Goliath, 40 days and 40 nights. Every morning he'd come out and taunt me. But every morning I had an answer. Never even and I had an answer. Glory be to God. Seven months into it, I was walking across the parking lot. I'll never forget it. Seven months into it, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost took hold. I began to laugh absolutely uncontrollably. I laughed so hard, I doubled over. I wept until there was almost a pool in the parking lot. I could take you to the spot on the college campus where I was the day this happened, even now. And uh, the devil had the audacity. I mean, I'm talking about spirit beings to talk to you. He said, what are you laughing about? That's not funny. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> he told me he was going to kill me, and I started laughing. I mean, I broke over into a fully persuaded faith. I just started laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. He said, what's funny about me killing you? I'm going to kill you. I'm gonna. He said, what are you laughing about? And finally, after a while, I could get my breath enough to where I said, if you just hang around a second, when I quit laughing, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> You know he's got brain damage. Yeah, that's right. He hung around. I'm not kidding you. So finally, when I got myself composed, he said, now, what's so funny? I'm going to kill you. I said, ha! I started laughing. He said, what are you laughing about? I said, you. He said, laughing at me. Why are you laughing at me? I'm going to kill you. I said, I'm laughing at you, you dumb devil. He said, why are you laughing at me for? I said, it finally dawned on me. That if you were so big and bad that you were going to kill me any old time you wanted to, why hadn't you already done it? And if you couldn't keep Jesus from coming out of the ground and you couldn't just kill me at the six-month mark or the five-month mark or the three-month mark, what makes you think you can kill me now since your head has been crushed and your, and your armor has been stripped and Jesus, and I'm telling you, I had me an absolute fit. I knew in the spirit, I knew in the spirit I had broken over. That next weekend, I was at home. We didn't have anything going on, and I came home from school. My wife and I, went, we were married there in college. My wife and I were in the bed, three in the morning. Something grabbed my foot and shook me awake. <laughs> I sat up in the bed, and there was an angel at the end of the bed. My eyes were wide open. He was as tall as the ceiling, golden glowing hair with a white robe, a light blue sash. And over here on the left side of his sash was an instrument gleaming, sparkling silver. It, it looked like um, about the size of a number two pencil. It was probably 12 inches in length at least, had a hub on one end, but it came down so tapered in precision like a medical instrument, like it was uh, like a, a sewing needle. It was precise. And he took my foot and held it up like this. And he took that implement out like this. And he put the point of that implement, uh, of that in, into the flesh that had rotten away up into the bone on my foot. And he took this thumb on the hub and he pushed it up into my leg. 
I literally felt it go up into the marrow, like the major bone of my, of my, of my leg. I felt it go up inside the bone into the marrow of the bone. He pushed it all the way up to the hub. And then he grabbed it like this and he withdrew it like you'd pull a syringe back. And when he pulled it out, I felt all the disease just drain out. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And he looked at me. I'll never forget it. He looked at me and he took that, he took that implement. He put it in his sash and he looked at me and smiled. Remember, he's probably, ceiling's eight feet. He's, he's probably seven, eight feet tall. Muscular, huge. And he looked at me and smiled. And then he did like this and looked up and raised his hands and poof. He just disappeared and went through the roof. I got up and I started pinching myself. Was that a dream that I just, what just happened? And so I started, and I picked up my foot and, I, and, and, and I, there was nothing there. And so I went, well, maybe it was the other foot. I mean, I was so in the spirit. I didn't know which foot it was. I picked up the other one. It was baby's flesh as if it never happened. There was no scar. There was no evidence. There wasn't a dark spot. There wasn't a scab. There was nothing. He literally recreated it like baby's flesh. Glory to God. Now he's in, they're in this room. They're attached to your ministry. Yes, they are. Lord, how, how far can I go here? <laughs> the Lord said to me, I'm going to tell one more story. It just seems to come up in my spirit, so I'm going to do it. I was in the cotton field of Louisiana. Several churches had come together, several hundred people. That particular night, it was a three-night meeting. The place was packed out. And I'll never forget, it was an unusual day because I had um, an instruction that day that I'd never had before. I was going down the road, and the Lord said, I want you to buy a new vehicle. I mean, he just said it just like that. Now, typically in purchases like that and so forth, my wife and, had a, and I had an agreement that we didn't just impetuously go do things like that, you know, especially without telling her. But I mean, I didn't have time to tell her. Holy Ghost said, I want you to go buy a new vehicle. And so I pulled in and I looked around and, and anyway, long and short of it was most of the day I was at the dealership. And that is very unusual for me because I'm going to be in the word and in prayer and so forth back in the room. And, uh, and so, you know, I don't spend my time. I spend my time preparing. You know, but that day the Lord said, do it. Now I'm in obedience to him. And so sure enough, I did it. We made the trade, got the deal done. And I didn't have much time by the time that was all said and done. And I got back to the room because it was a long drive because this was out in the country and it was a drive to the church. And so I went and laid down. The Lord began to speak to me about what to preach that night. And I still remember what I preached. I'll never forget that either. What the word of the Lord came to me, told me what to say and do. So I did. But in that meeting that night, <clears throat> Uh, I didn't know till the next day that there was a woman that came to the meeting with a friend. She invited her. They'd seen the miracles and they had seen the move of the spirit. And so a woman, and I didn't learn this till later, of course, so I'm trying to chronologically put, piece it together for you. But there was a woman in the meeting and she invited a friend and she said, now, I know you've been to church before, but she said, you probably never see, you're probably going to see some things tonight you may not understand. You've probably never seen anything like this. And, uh, of course, that's most of us, that's our religious tradition of fear talking because it's our reputation on the line and we don't want it to be a crazy meeting when we bring a guest. But she knew she had been in meetings with, uh, actually, our meetings. <laughs> and, 
And so sure enough, she said, and so during the service, you're going to see some things that you don't understand. So she said, uh, probably, if you have any questions, no problem. I'll be happy to answer them, but don't ask me during the meeting. Let's just wait till we get out of the meeting. So sure enough, she, now that night, let me tell you what happened and then I'll get back to her. So that night, by the Spirit of God, the anointing was so strong, and I called anybody that had any sickness and disease up and so forth, and they, they lined the front. It was, it was a big, long line. And so I'm, in the name of Jesus, whack, in the name of Jesus, wow, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I get to this lady, she's four, five, six in line, and all of a sudden, you know, the power of God hits her, she's in the floor, I keep on going. Well, I get in the middle, and there's a young girl, about 12 or 13, and she comes up on grutches because she was born with cerebral palsy. And she had never walked unassisted or run in her life. And she comes up, we laid hands on her. And when we did, she threw her arms up like this. And one crutch went that way and the other crutch went that way. And she took off running. Well, you can imagine the place erupted. Well, now while that's going on, all of a sudden they start screaming, Brother Tracy over here, Brother Tracy, Brother Tracy. And I said, what? And they're over here like this. And they're screaming, we've had an eye that's been opened. We've had an eye that's been opened. So I come back over here, this lady... Had, was blind, in, totally blind in one eye. I didn't even know what she was up there for. She had had a brain tumor removed. Now, they live in L Louisiana, but the closest surgeon that was qualified at, to that time, at that date, it was the largest brain tumor ever successfully removed in the history of the state of Arkansas at that time. And they had successfully removed the brain tumor, but left her blind in her eye. And the other eye, she couldn't read, so she's got glasses, but because the other eye is not at all seeing well, all right, so she's blind in one eye. Well, when the power of God hit her, God instantly recreated, whether he recreated the brain or whatever, he instantly healed her eye, her sight, and that eye, her eye popped open. And when it did, both eyes came to 20-20. So now she can't even put on the glasses to read. So she's screaming and bouncing around. Her son's like 38 years old. He came to the service with her, and she says, I'm telling you, I was blind. And they start telling the story. It was like a, a story out of the book of John where he says, was he blind? Was he born blind? Do you know? Is, are you his parents? And that's literally what it looked like. And she's so excited, she doesn't know what to do. I got a firsthand experience of what it must have been like for Peter and John, where it says that when they beheld the lame man holding Peter and John, he went walking and leaping and praising God. I am not exaggerating. This grandmother bear hugged me like this frontal and put her arms under my arms and picked me up. <laughs> I was literally, I'd been on a fast and I was quite slim down at the time and she picked me up and I'm going, oh, like this, I'm hanging on this woman. And she's like, I'm healed, I'm healed. And my arm's flopping like this. So when she lets me go, I said, woo, praise God, glory to God. And uh, before I could turn around and I'm talking to her, she was so taken, she's in the spirit, see? She's so taken aback, she ran up and did it again. So after the, after the second time, so I know what it's like. When you get a creative miracle, This has happened many times over the years, but I've now learned when they start running at you. <laughs> Glory to God. Now, back to the lady that came who saw some things she had never seen before. She said, uh, do you have any questions? And she said, yes. She said, uh, uh, I only have one. And so she kind of braced herself, you know. And she said, I, I just want to know, who was that? Huge, that big man all dressed in white. Huh? That followed that preacher around all night. Glory to God. 
She said, there wasn't anybody following him around. She said, yeah, I've never seen that in church. That looked like to me. She said, you know, the preacher never gets interrupted, but this guy was like, it was almost like he couldn't turn. That guy was stuck to him or something. She said, she said he was a head taller than him. And she said, and, and, and I was preaching with a corded mic, you know. So I get to the end of the cord and I jump and turn to go the other way. And she literally, <laughs> and she literally said she followed him around and when he had slowed down a little bit, said that big man in white would lean over whisper in his ear and he'd jump and start going the other direction. And this lady said there was no, and then it, all of a sudden it dawned on her. She's seeing in the spirit. She's never seen anything like this. She doesn't know what she's seeing. And she saw the angel assigned to me for that ministry. And she said, when that preacher got up there and started laying hands on those people, she said, I, you're right, I've never seen anybody blind get healed. Somebody's got cerebral palsy, take off and go and take off running. She said, when that man reached out to lay hands on those people in that line, that big man that was taller than him, he reached his hand out over his right shoulder. Amen. Are you getting this, son? You're not the one that's got a pastor that church. Not by yourself. <sighs> it's built on a rock the gates of hell will never prevail against. He said that big man reached over his shoulder and laid his hand on him with him. Well, and he went down the whole line. That's what she was talking about all the miracles and what she saw. Now, I was aware that's what the, the anointing was there. The weight of God's glory was there. I knew there was otherly worldly help in the room, but I wasn't seeing the angel. I'm just preaching. I'm, I'm preaching by faith, just what he told me to do. Now, those angels are here tonight. I was laying across the bed this afternoon. And uh, do you remember me telling you this morning that the three-day meeting in California, where the Lord said, you tell the people, my angels are going to work with you in this meeting. And, uh, and I told you the story about that house that was all cash and closed and went in the building fund like before I left town. And the Lord had told me in the wee hours of the night last night that those angels, <laughs> oh, I'm getting over there, <clears throat> would would if the people would respond. Yes, sir, I'll do that. Um, you may or may not have ever read Brother Hagin's book, I Believe in Visions. But if you have, you'll remember when he was praying and believing God for something, and he was, in those days, would pull a travel trailer, and he was in his travel trailer, and he's studying, and he's praying, right? And then it often say in a parsonage, but he's getting ready for a meeting in the afternoon. And all of a sudden, what he thinks is a person, he knows that a person or a, a being, if you will, he, he realized later it was, he could hear him walk down the hall. They walk down the hall, open the door, walk through the door, stood at the foot of his bed. And he said, who's there? He looked up and said, who's there? And he didn't see anything. And he said two or three times, who's there? And nothing. And so uh, he said that same being then turned around and retraced his steps, went through the door, went down the hall and out. And he's like, oh, Lord, what was that? 
And he said he just felt impressed. That's all just an impression to study the ministry of angels. Well, he got himself into a financial mess. Because God had told him to do certain things and he didn't do it. And in those days, as we laugh about when money was money, he was having to borrow borrow $100 every month just to just to make the budget meet by the end of the year. He's $1200 in debt and he he I mean in, in those days, you know, he's believing God for just a few dollars a week for his budget. So you can imagine this is a big deal. And the eight-foot-wide trailers, the new 10-foot-wide ones had come out, and so now his trailer's not worth anything. And things had just gotten worse and worse and worse until finally he was seeking God and talking to God about the situation. And uh, the Lord appeared to him one night. When, and if you remember this, have you read this? The Lord, he's, he's on the stage, and after he finishes ministering and he's praying, all of a sudden he looks around, and there's the Lord Jesus standing there. He just manifests at the end of the meeting. And he said, I've come to help you. But there was a being with him. And Dad Hagen said, every time he looked at that being, the being started, he kind of moved his wings and started to open his mouth and say something. And then he looked back at Jesus and that angel would go like this. And so the whole story goes along these lines that he said, uh, he said, this uh, is your angel. I sent him to you. He said he has a, me- actually he said he has a message for you. And Brother Hagin said to him, well, Lord, you're standing right there. Why don't you give me the message? I'm not going to receive a message from an angel or any other being. If you're standing right here, unless it lines up with the word, and you know Dad Hagin, he's stickler for that. And, uh, and so Jesus literally, to get him to respond, this is, this is my point. I'm going to make a point about this. I went years and years. Now, this isn't the only thing the Lord taught me about it, but it seems to fit right here tonight. It never made sense to me when I would read that again and again, something the Lord Jesus said to him in this visitation. He said, <clears throat> he said that he showed where he had visited Paul in the book of Acts, and then he showed where then other times he had sent his angel. And he showed him it was scriptural, and he said, now, I have, your angel has a message for you, and I've sent him, and he said, I sent him to you a year ago. Well, now he's going back to that time that being walked in the room. And Jesus said, I sent him to, him to you a year ago and you would have been spared all of this financial trouble and all of this torment had you responded to him. But since you didn't respond to him, I had no choice but to let you go down the course you were going. And so the angel had a message for him. And he said, because you've asked me and because I love you, you know, I mean, he wasn't punishing him. This was the result of seed time and harvest and his own faith in his own decisions. This wasn't Jesus holding out on him and making him go through that trial to teach him something. This was he already. And, that, and that's obvious because he already sent the angel to try to spare him from it all. That's good. But you see, that's what the Lord does. And then we blame it on him. Like we finally get an epiphany, like the circumstance taught us something. And we don't realize that had we obeyed the word and been back here in the spirit and obeyed God, most of what we walked through, we'd have never walked through. And of course, the angel gave him the message 
And sure enough, it came to pass just like the angel said. He said, I'm going to help you. He sold the trailer when he shouldn't have sold the trailer. The market wouldn't support it. Uh, different things happened. He came out of debt, and then so much money came in his hand. He got in the next phase of his ministry and so forth. Now, think of it. I, I've got something to say to you. The reason the Lord's telling me to tell you this story is because of what he said to me in the room this afternoon. Um, I've known this for a long time. I'll say one more thing about it before I get this far. I, um, on an August Saturday morning in 2010, I was awakened and right in front of me, uh, the word of the Lord came to me and I heard these words. He said, I want to teach you. I want to talk to you. Actually, he didn't say teach you. I want to talk to you about the supernatural creation of wealth. Now, in the midst of that visitation, he said to me and revealed to me that a spirit being created all physical matter. Now, I knew that, I guess, already, but I didn't have the revelation of it like he said it. Nothing, the chair you're sitting on, everything, this came out of the spirit world. Spirit world is more real than anything you can touch, feel, or see. This world was created out of it, and this world's temporary. That world's eternal. So, not only did he say that to me, but he pointed out to me about Lucifer. Ezekiel 28, Lucifer was one of the original two angels that were in charge of the economy of God. So not only did this, a spirit being, God himself, create all physical matter, but he put a spirit being in charge of all the goods and resources of the kingdom. Now I want you to think about this for just a second, and then I'm going to make a statement to you. Adam, in the garden, before he sinned, in charge of all the creation of God, the gold in the land of Havilah, uh, all the animals came to him when there was no curse. How was he running everything? In his body? He had a body. Was he running it with his physical might? See, we have no concept of this because everything we do, we do in the natural. Because when we fell under sin, we came below the light line. And instead of living as a spirit being and living from the inside out, we too often try and we read about it. We believe in God. We, 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 we know he wants more, but we run around in our physical strength trying to figure it out and make it happen. We're in the wrong system. We weren't called to oversee our finances in our body We don't have authority to oversee the prosperity of the Abrahamic covenant in our mind. I hope I'm helping you here. You have to understand the kind of, the kind of things God is wanting to do can't be accomplished in physical might or mental prowess. The mind cannot produce divine encounters. It won't respond to that realm. We, this is an earth suit, it's all it is. The real me lives inside. What makes the decisions about where I go, what I do, what I spend, what I sow, what I can reap, what I can drive, all right, through the soul of man 
by the conscience of my own heart, I either give myself permission to prosper or not. Are you following me? So it's really my spirit that's overseeing the economy of the goods and resources of the valuable things of that kingdom that he's put in my hands to steward. Now, if I can't be faithful with unrighteous mammon, How is he going to release to me the spiritual authority to handle prophecy, tongues, interpretation, tongues, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, working miracles, walking in the glory, seeing over into things to come, uh, dealing with territorial spirits? Money can't buy any of that. There's no possible way we can walk in the fullness of the economy of the kingdom, the economy of God in the supernatural. Listen, the anointing is like an oil, and that oil is more precious than any gold you've got. And you don't oversee it with your brain, and you don't oversee it with your body. You oversee it by faith from the inside out with your spirit man. And your tongue is tied to your spirit. So your money's going to do what you tell it, and if it filters through that unredeemed brain, you're not going to tell it to do much because you don't believe you have authority over it. And you certainly don't believe you have authority over the spirit beings that because they fell and were originally created to control all of that, that mammon demon, which is a fallen angel, Satan, no wonder he kept trying to buy his way into the church with money. Because angels were originally assigned over the goods and resources and distributing them, overseeing them, keeping them, and handling them in the kingdom. I'm a little deeper in this than I thought it would be, but the Holy Ghost is taking me here because something major is going to happen tonight. I'm laying across the bed this afternoon, and the Lord spoke to me. And I'm meditating and I'm talking to him about the meeting and the things that I had seen and the things he, things he wanted to do and the miracles he wanted to do in the meeting. And, and I remembered him saying, just like in California, those angels that were working in that meeting, he wanted them to work in this meeting and they wanted to do miracles of wholeness and that, that literally he wanted to obliterate everything that had been holding his people down, spirit, soul, and body. He wanted to destroy things that had tethered them up and that he was going to produce miracles Miracles over spiritual battles that took a long time to win. In other words, long-standing faith projects would come to pass suddenly and supernaturally from this meeting. Things people would be beginning to believe God for for 10 years or 20 years. Suddenly, they're going to get a breakthrough, and it's going to come to pass, and they don't know how. Because you have help. Amen. See, you've been spinning around without operating in that authority. It's time to break through and break out. Listen, this is a decade of deliverance. We don't have another 40 years to figure this thing out. And we certainly don't have a generation hurtling toward the glory without spiritual fathers and mothers that know how to teach them these things. We certainly don't have time for them to spend their whole ministry right at the end of their ministry when they, they could have had it 40 years before and made a worldwide impact. You mind if I show you another scripture real quick before I tell you what he, I, I know I keep baiting you, but I'm not doing it on purpose. Every time I get right to the place I'm going to say it, something else comes up. And he says, no, you're not, you know, he's, he's working me to it. Here's the thing, Deuteronomy 32 verse 8. Glory to God. 
Look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. My, 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 my. Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Oh, thank you, Lord, for helping us. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Brother Paul, you're, you're adept at these iPad things, right? I, I think I've already got it up on, uh, I, I don't know if that's a photo. It's not. <laughs> Hang on here. Uh, that's the right uh, application. Can you bring up Deuteronomy 32.8 for me? I, I'm going to do this on purpose because you need to see this, and I don't have these notes with me. The Lord's taking this a totally different direction. I've got it written down somewhere. I'm going to start keeping it with me. But notice what it says in Deuteronomy 32.8, when the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples. Say, when the Most High divided their inheritance, divided the inheritance to the nations. Now notice what he said, he set the boundaries of the peoples. Thank you very much, I appreciate it. All right, <clears throat> listen to this now. Some, your King James and some translations will, will talk about it as the seed of Adam or the sons of Israel. But that's not what's in the Hebrew here. What's in the Hebrew, let me read it from the New Living Translation. When the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples, now listen, according to the number in his heavenly court. Now, the reason he calls them Israelites is because they're sons of God. And it's hard for the translator to know when you're talking about sons of God, if he's talking about men or angels. Here he's talking about angels. And uh, I'm just going to give you another couple of examples of this in other translations. He says, the Brenton Septuagint translation, when the Most High divided the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the nations according to the number of the angels of God. Here's the point. Now I could go further and I will. I'll read you another one here in a minute. But there is an angel assigned to every nation of the earth. Israel had a national angel. When you read it in Daniel chapter 9, and Michael, the archangel, comes to answer Daniel's prayer. By Daniel 9 and 10, Michael says, I've got to leave now and go fight with the prince of Persia and the prince of Grisha. Angels over those nations. nations or over those government systems. And he said, there's none that hold us together with me in these things except Michael, your, your prince. Your prince. And he's talking to Daniel the prophet, who is the representative of the nation of Israel. And basically, if you read the Amplified, it'll say, Michael, Israel's national guardian angel. Amen. I'm convinced he's the one that went in front of the nation and drove out the Canaanites and kept the way of the Lord. These angels are massive. Amen. They're assigned to bring us into our inheritance. They're in the room tonight. Amen. Amen. Ooh, glory be to God. Listen to what it says in the NET Bible. When the Most High gave their nations their inheritance. What I'm wanting to attach to you is their inheritance. 
I'm wanting you to connect the inheritance with the ministry of angels. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the children of men, He set the bounds of the peoples according to the number, the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the heavenly assembly. When He gave you a land, he, he did it based upon the angels that are assigned to you to take you into that land, to keep you in that land, to cause you to be able to dominate that land, to rule that land, to prosper that land, to keep the enemy out of that land, and to take it for God. Yeah. Do you see what's happening? We're talking about angels' assignments, their keepers, which means basically part of their major DNA is their territorial spirits. They oversee territories. That's why they're called princes. And that's why the scripture says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities. Principalities are spiritual rulers, demon rulers over territories that want to hold that territory and don't want to leave that territory. Because somebody, the man with dominion, yielded to that demon and gave him that property and he wants to stay there. Which is why when Jesus stepped off of the boat to the country of the Gadarenes, it ought to help you understand why when they were in the boat on the way there, there was a hurricane that stirred up. Well, of course it did, because that demon has no boundaries in geog geography or in distance. So that demon heard Jesus say, let us go to the other side. And that demon knows, uh-oh, if Jesus ever steps foot here in this country. I mean, read it. The Gadarenean demoniac, he had a militant demon. The demons that inhabit military rulers like Alexander the Great, Hitler, Mussolini. You go down history, my name is Legion for we are many. The demons that ran the Roman emperors. The demons that ran Nebuchadnezzar and kings of Persia. And they want to control territories. And that demon leader, Legion, was in a man. Actually, Matthew says there was two of them. It's the, it's the spirit that's driving gangs. Are y'all listening to me? We got authority over this. It says that those men were so fierce... No one would pass that way. In other words, this is our turf. They were tagging it. Marking it. It's a demon does that. And so the first thing that man did, he ran screaming out of the tombs. And as soon as he got in Jesus' presence, trying to get free, the man wanted free. But, but he was under the control of these demons. He had yielded to them. He had an infatuation with death. He was masochistic. He was sadistic. He cut himself with stones. These cutting devils on our teenagers are about to leave, and they're about to leave immediately. Yes. This spirit of suicide that's come against our society, it is about to be bound and cast out, and I mean immediately. There's about to be miracles of a 
sound mind, miracles of a whole mind. Anorexia is out the door. Bulimia is out the door. All these self-image demons, they're out of here. In the name, bipolar, schizophrenia, manic depression, it's out the door. They are demons, spirit of fear, panic attacks, can't come out of my room, don't want to be in crowds, claustrophobic, fear of fine, fear of water, fear of swimming, fear of drowning, it's out the door. Fear has torment, and God has not given you a spirit of fear, and that angel trying to hold that place is a fallen angel, stripped from his armor, Stripped from his keys. We got the name. We got the name. We got the name. He didn't create you to put up with that the rest of your life. He didn't create you to get enough insurance to pay somebody for three hours a week for 20 years just so you can cope. I'm telling you the deliverer is in the house. I said, I'm telling you the deliverer is in the house and his name is Jesus. Jesus, King of Kings. Jesus, Lord of Lords. Now you understand why that demon said, don't, don't kick us out of the country. Don't take us out of the territory. I don't have time to go any further on that, but I'm just simply saying, you see, they were territorial demons. Well, that's why they want to keep and hold you. You're made out of the dust of the earth. First time we see any angels, they're keepers. When Adam got kicked out of the garden, there were two cherubim that turned every way, keeping the way of the tree of life. That's what they do. They keep paths. They keep territory. They keep grounds. Come on. But when they left their first estate, they got perverted. And now they want to act like God and keep it for themselves. Huh? That's why that mammon demon won't let you give. He'll teach you how to hold. Hold your money. Because they have a hold on you. They won't let go of anything. They're not givers. They're not in the light. They don't have a giving heart. Oh, come on now. I mean, this is huge. One of the greatest ways to break the spirit of generational poverty in your life is become a massive giver. Just get on the giving side of life. Get out of that old mess. That church, all that church wants is my money. Well, that's all Walmart wants, and it's all McDonald's wants. You never say that about Walmart. You never say that about Candy Crush. It has to be a demon to make people think that way. You have to have help to be that. Think of it. Now, the Lord said something to me. <clears throat> and uh, hold that for me if you don't mind. I'm praying in the, in the hotel room, laying over the bed. He's talking to me about these angelic beings. And, and I began to talk to him about where to go tonight. Yeah, I'll do that. I really am working my way to this, I promise. <laughs> Is this okay? First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Look at this. I'm going to ask you to bring it on the monitor. Look at this. Since I don't quite have time to go to all these scriptures, I want to give you a synopsis. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. 
justified in the spirit. What now? Say it again. What now? Say it one more time. Now look at the next rest of it. Preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now, <clears throat> I've been talking to the Lord about this because we know that Jesus' ministry was attended to by angels. As he was in the garden, and when he was tempted, angels came and ministered to him after the devil left him. And when he was in the garden praying about going to the cross, an angel appeared to him and strengthened him. And he said, you'll see greater things than these angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we know angels are attached to his ministry. They attend to it. But here, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, he says, seen by angels. That's a different phrase. And uh, most people, you never even hear them quote it, much less preach on it, because they don't know what it means. Did you know that up until Jesus appeared on the scene, there were some things angels had never seen? I don't have time to get into this either. <laughs> but when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, you see the cherubim flying around in the glory. With two wings they covered their feet. With two wings they flew. And with two wings they covered their face. Why? It's the same reason that God put his hand over Moses' face. Because no man could see God, not even the angels. They couldn't even lift up their head in his presence. So in John 1, when Jesus says, no man has seen the, only the Father, but the only begotten Son of God, the one that came out from the bosom of the Father, has come out. He has seen Him face to face and has come out to make Him seen and known. Now that explains why in 1 Peter chapter 1, when it speaks of preachers that come, preach under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, begin to declare by the help of the Holy Spirit things that the angels desire to look into. When Paul was caught up to the third heaven, it was revealed to him by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, what happened from the cross to the throne. And according to the book of Colossians, not only was our sin nailed to that tree and everything contrary to us, but he disarmed, Colossians 2, 13, 14, 15, he disarmed principalities and powers and made a show of them. Now you're getting it. And so Hebrews 1 says that when he brought the first begotten into the world, he said, let all the angels worship him. Up until that time, had Satan known who he was, he wouldn't have crucified him. But he couldn't see. But when he came up out of that tomb with the keys, he had what the Greek writers use a term for. He had an apec duomai. And what it was was what a Roman general would do when he conquered an enemy. He would strip the king down, take his robe and his paraphernalia off, take all of them captive, lead them off naked with ropes around their neck through the street in a parade of conquest in front of all of the fallen soldiers, all of his realm and everybody else to show we have conquered you. When it says Jesus was seen of angels, what it means is, is when Jesus rose from the dead, there was an apec duomai. 
all the demons of hell, all the angels of the heavenly glories, including any of the saints that were incarcerated in prison awaiting the Messiah in Sheol, including all those in the belly of hell, men that had died and gone before. From the highest heaven to the lowest hell, he was seen and an open show was made that he was king of kings and lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. And right in the presence, that's what he meant when he says, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Right in the presence of the devil himself whose head was crushed and all of his sniveling, writhing, anemic, beat, defeated, stripped demons who were whining and crying, don't send us out of the country, don't nominate us, oh, we didn't know, we didn't know. Right there, the thunder of God, he is Lord. And he, God, in the presence of all the angels, where the heavenly angels and the unholy demon angels could see God gave him the name in their face. Now, now, see demons before this would hold on and could resist men and all of that. But then when Jesus would show up, they'd, nine of them would try to cast him out. But I mean, they'd bow to Jesus. So now what do you think's happened? Now that all the demons of hell all at once had to have their power stripped and crushed and could not hold him in the ground, witnessed as he gave men that name. I'm telling you right now, every time when you know who you are in Christ, every time your eye twitches, the demons start screaming, my God, he's awake. And they go to, I'm serious, they go to work immediately trying to blind your mind to who you really are. Their whole job is smoking mirrors. They're as nervous as cats. They got a hemorrhage they can't stop. And as long as they can keep you in the dark, they can hold on to what little they got. But the day, oh, glory to God. The day you get revelation that it's done for, that you were not made that way, that God didn't give you the spirit of fear, that the Redeemer loved you so much that he gave it to you whether you deserved it or not, and that this is his last day on your mind, it's his last day on your body, it's his last day on your money, it's his last day in your life, it's his last day on your kids, because Jesus has been seen as Lord of all the angels. So when we give him notice in that name tonight, whatever harassing, tormenting spirits have been hanging around your faith project trying to delay it and keep it from coming to pass, and you've been saying, I just don't understand. I don't understand why it's taking so long. I don't understand why it hadn't happened yet. I don't Stop all that nonsense. That's doubt and unbelief. He's already done it. You already have it. You're not trying to get it. Receive it in Jesus' name. I asked the Lord. So he's talking to me about these things. I'm actually wanting to preach along these lines instead of just doing what I did, which is race through them. Just so that in your Bible you could see it. And, and that whole new world that he's made available to you would just go. And I'm laying across there and the Lord starts talking to me and he gave me a scripture, Genesis 22. And I knew what he's talking to me about. 
It was when Abraham was instructed by God to take Isaac up on the mountain. And I said, oh, Lord, I began to thank him for what he did. And <clears throat> because I thought he was going to talk to me further. And he was, but in a way I didn't expect. He was going to talk to me further about this supernatural, otherworldly creation of provision. Because it's what Job Jire means. We call it the Lord my provider. But actually it's Ra or Ra'a in the Hebrew. It means to see or to be seen. And literally the name is in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Or Jehovah Jireh can mean I am the God who sees and will see to it. I see what you need and I'll see to it. Anybody have any need here tonight? Spirit, soul, and body anywhere in your life? You got anything in front of you you need to be able to do and accomplish what the Lord told you to do? Then you're not by yourself. You have help tonight. And they're about to be unleashed to go see it and see to it. Glory to God. When you talk to it, they'll go get it. Glory be to God. And I asked the Lord because I know the story so well. I've preached on it many, many times. And uh, I remember the story. It's a type and shadow of Jesus on the mountain of Calgary. of Calvary, we understand in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And, he, and this lamb was caught in the bush, right, as a provision. And he was caught in there by the horns. So for those of you that don't know, Abraham's got his knife in the air about to slay Isaac. And heaven speaks to him, and he won't drop that knife and kill Isaac because God will provide himself a lamb. Are you with me? So God will provide himself a lamb. And there's a ram caught in the thorn tree, which is the thorns of the curse, by the horns, which are the anointing, symbolic of Jesus being hung, Jesus hanging his anointing on the the tree. Jesus, when he hung on that tree, he hooked his anointing into our curse. Glory be to God. And he took that and offered it in the stead of his son. Now, glory to God. I'm laying across the bed, and the Lord asked me, he said, son, who do you suppose put that ram in that bush? Instantly I knew. You know who it was? When he had the knife in the air that talked to him, don't you? The angel of the Lord appeared. Said, now I know. And he began to talk to me about the angelic assignment of supernatural provision. Now, I was headed toward miracles of a sound mind. There's much more we could have gone through. But let me just say this. Can you write these scriptures down? And we're going to believe God. We'll see where we go with it. 3 John 2. Beloved. Beloved. I wish above all things. That you what? Prosper and be in health. Prosper and be in health. Even as your soul prospers. 
Until we get some miracles of a sound mind, it's impossible for divine healing and supernatural prosperity to begin to manifest in our life. It is our dysfunctional, divided mind that's keeping it from manifesting. And so he's going to have to minister to our soul. And what he wants you and me to know is that when Jesus was in that garden and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood facing death, that was an actual medical condition of intense stress, acute fear. And his blood went out of its natural course. It's hematoidosis is what it is. A woman having a child. I've talked to some nurses that have seen women bleed out under the stress and pain and fear of childbearing. They bled out through their eyes. They bled out through their female organs. Many, many years ago, Leonardo da Vinci, there's an account of a warrior that literally just started bleeding out of every orifice before battle because he was so afraid of going into battle. It's hematoidosis. The acute fear, the intense anxiety pushed his blood out of its courses. When, when Jesus was in that garden, his face was to the ground. And from his brow, the sweat of man and the blood of the DNA of Almighty God. And he said, as he released his will, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He made a choice for all mankind to redeem. Everywhere that blood went was a redemptive act. He redeemed man's soul forever. To be able to choose God. And then after that, they led him away and they wrapped up a crown of thorns Amen. and they put it on his head. His what? Head. And they took rods and beat it down on his head, beat it into him. He took the chastisement of our peace. Amen. We don't have to wrestle with this stuff. But here's the final thing I want to leave with you. It's a twofold thought. First, in that garden when Jesus was under such duress, it says an angel came. In that moment, when the blood poured from his scalp, when he would have died and bled out in mental anguish, in combat, he wouldn't have made it. An angel came. Do you guess what's happening here? Do you have any idea what Philippians 4 actually means when it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, make every request unto God with thanksgiving. And here's what will happen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, listen to this phrase, will garrison. Do you know what a garrison is? It's a troop. Well, garrison around your heart and your mind. There is a garrison of angels, a sign to keep your soul in peace. Glory be to God. And they're in this room. I said, they're in this room. They're going to deal with your thinking about yourself. They're going to deal with your thinking about your past. They're going to deal with all kinds of generational curses, behavioral behavioral, uh, uh, thought patterns, destructive thought patterns. 
Most people don't know this, and you can look it up on your own, but it's the final thing I'm going to say because it'll stun you when you find it out. Thomas, anybody remember Thomas? Who was so sullen and taken by depression that at least the, the other disciples were gathered after the resurrection for fear of the Jews, but they, they were afraid, but at least they came to church. Thomas wouldn't show up. Thomas wouldn't even come to church. And when he did show up, in John 20, which is a direct, also recorded in John 11, when they went to raise Lazarus from the dead, they said, Thomas, who is called Didymus. And what most people don't know is they never just take the time to find out what does that mean? That's just old English. No, no. Thomas was his Hebrew name. Didymus was his Greek name. And it means, it comes from the Greek word duo or double. It means twin. He, Thomas the twin. And, and nothing in historical record says he had a brother or sister. He's not talking about him being a physical twin. He's talking about his character was so double-minded and schizophrenic that the other disciples made fun of him and nicknamed him the twin because there was two of him. There was a Dr. Jekyll and a Mr. Hyde. So it had so overwhelmed him, this dysfunction, that after Jesus died, the weight and the, of the depression and the fear of what am I going to do now wouldn't even let him come back to church. He wouldn't even let him gather with the people who cared for him. And he said, I'll tell you one thing I'm not going to believe unless I see. What was that? See, that was a demon. That was that demon of double-mindedness. And when he walked in the room, listen to me, when he walked in the room, Jesus said to him, word for word, what he heard Thomas say days earlier, even though Jesus, he didn't know he was there. And when he said, Thomas, I know you said this. I heard everything you said. Here I am. Handle me and see. He instantly fell down in his presence. My Lord and my God. You know what happened to him, don't you? He got delivered of double-mindedness. He got delivered of mental dysfunction. That twin got cast out of him. And he became such a strong apostle of the Lamb that he took the gospel all over India. And India today has a Christian footprint all over that nation because of Thomas. Because he got delivered in his soul. Tonight, there's deliverance. I'm telling you, tonight there is deliverance. I said, tonight there is deliverance. I said, tonight there is deliverance. I said, tonight there is deliverance. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, Jesus of Nazareth intends for you and me to walk out of this place every whit whole. Is there anybody in the room tonight that this has struck a chord with your heart? I had no intention whatsoever until I got under the anointing to even talk about Thanksgiving and its power. 
But the utterance that came up from my spirit talking about the power of thanksgiving drove this whole point to get to right here to talk about the fact that this moment of stepping over and accepting, yielding and saying, thank you. Tonight's my night of deliverance. Thank you for what you've done. You're raised from the dead. All the fallen angels have seen you. Just use that name and it's going to run from my life. Resist the devil and he will flee. I'll never again live subject to panic attacks. I'll never again live looking in the mirror thinking, calling myself names. I'll never again talk about my children as if they're stupid and can't learn. I'll ne- Glory be to God. There are miracles in this room, spirit, soul, and body. And there are angels of provision being released to go get your stuff and to go get it immediately. It is time for long standing faith projects to come to an end in victory. Would you stand on your feet? I see this so strongly. I'm telling you, the anointing so strong. I know we could keep going in some different directions, but the Spirit of God in my heart is so strong. Most people don't even know the history. But when Ishmael, because of the mistake that Sarah made and urged Abraham, and he yielded, and he went into Hagar and had a child of the flesh, and Ishmael was about somewhere around 14 years of age, and Sarah didn't like it at all and kicked him out. Kicked her out, actually, Ishmael and, and the mama. Hagar takes him in the wilderness and takes him in the wilderness in Genesis 16. It happens again in Genesis 21, twice. Yeah. But an angel appears to her in the wilderness because he's 14 years old. And the Lord, this came off the page at me. There are a number of people in here tonight that you have struggled with and didn't know how to deal with and was afraid that you wouldn't turn out right and you could not control your teenager or your young child, your boy or your girl. And I'm telling you, it is a curse for your children to go into the camp of captivity and you have no power in your hand to stop it. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law and the Lord told me that he is absolutely by his power going to deliver mothers and fathers tonight from the fear that their children are going to die early or get pulled offside or go into the world or not know who they are. It is time God has not given you a spirit of fear but power, love, and a sound mind. These are the children of Almighty God and he is the God to the third and fourth generation. He is for you and he's for your seed, and he's for your seed seed, and you have a blood-bought guaranteed covenant that you and your children, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And tonight we're going to get them back if they've gone astray, or we're going to keep them in the house if they're here today. But Jesus is going to show himself as Lord in your situation. And Hagar had Ishmael... 14 years of age, kicked out in the wilderness, a bottle of water, lost all, all of her provision was gone. And she got to a place to where they were so thirsty, dehydrated, the scripture says she laid the boy down. He was still considered a boy. Laid the boy down under a tree because she couldn't bear to see him die. And walked off from him about a bow archer shot and began to weep before God. And guess what appeared to her? And the angel of the Lord said, Why are you crying, Hagar? I've heard the cry of the lad. I know where he is. And I will fulfill what I promised you. And I will make of him a great nation. 
I want to know, does heaven have some help attached to your life? I want to know, does heaven have some help attached to your children and your grandchildren? I want to know if you've been struggling with double-mindedness, is the Savior alive and well enough in here tonight to cast the twin out of you like he did Thomas? I want to know if tonight is your night of deliverance and healing. I want to know if you'd let the King of Kings and Lord of Lords rewire your brain or the brain of your children or the brain of your children's children or the brain of your, ch of your children's friends and what they're going to get in school or what they're associated with on a daily basis bombarded from social media. I wonder if they could grow up in God and realize that I was born a girl so God made me a female. I wonder if he could give them such a sound mind that they wouldn't be confused about who they are, what they are, what they have, where they're going. I wonder, glory be to God, if God can help your child be an arrow that hits the mark. I wonder if your child can grow up in a world where it may be literally covered with gross darkness, but if Jesus tarries, will it be a message of victory and deliverance and an empty tomb that you'll send to a generation you may never see? You bet it will. As for me and my house, I'm going to shoot my kids into the future. Glory be to God. And they're going to understand the authority of the name of Jesus. And I have a covenant that guarantees it. And I'm not going to lay awake at night worried and fear tossing about it. We have authority over every demon that is coming at our children. We have authority over every demon that's coming at our family. We got authority over every demon that's coming at the minds. Listen to me. We have authority over every demon that's coming at the minds of the people in our congregation. Absolutely. That are lying to them. Well, I'm not used. I've been here so long. I'm not really getting fed. The services are too long. I don't like them laughing so much. Or, I, or, or, or they're too boring for me. Or they don't have enough smoking lights. I want to go down the road. We've got authority over every demon yeah. that's trying to get God's people moving out of their place. Yeah. 